Kempston, who's a trial lawyer from Minneapolis, Minnesota, who loves to run. He recently wrote a book entitled Lessons Learned on the Run, a book about running and life that I recently read while we were on a trip. In the book, he tells this story about his junior year in high school. He was splitting his time running between the JV team and the varsity track team. And it was a lovely spring afternoon. He was slated to run in the 3,200 meter race. His coach was very confident in his ability to win this race. And David said he communicated to him only as a coach is able to do sometimes that he expected him to win. He explained that a good performance in this race would earn him a berth in the upcoming district race. Kempson, as he recalled that event, says as the gun sounded, he sprinted to an early lead. In fact, a very comfortable lead in, re in front of the rest of the runners. He said, however, with about 600 meters to go, fatigue began to set in. And knowing he was so far ahead of the pack and he had the race won, he began to coast. As he rounded the final turn, he remembers there was a, an unusual amount of cheering for a JV race, and he said he was filled with pride, and so he began to sprint just a bit, began to accelerate, but he said, I, I didn't go all out because I knew how I had the race won. And he said with about 10 meters to go, suddenly he realized the crowd wasn't cheering for him. They were cheering for a teammate who caught him at the finish line and won the race. Well, needless to say, Kempton's coach was furious when he was awarded second place and the other runner got first place. And here's what Kempton said. I learned a great lesson that day. Always run through the tape. Finish strong. Well, you know, that's a good lesson, not only in running or in sports, but in every area of life. It's a good lesson in your career, in your marriage, in your relationships. It becomes a metaphor for everything in life, but especially so as we think about our spiritual relationship. I don't know if the Apostle Paul was a sports fan or not, or when he was in Athens or Rome, went to the Olympic Coliseum to see races. He very well could have. But nevertheless, in his writings, he often uses the running metaphor to talk about the Christian life and running the race. One of those passages found in the book of Philippians when he said, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so this morning, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this Legacy Weekend in talking about reaching forward to the heavenly prize. I want to once more thank the shepherds of this congregation for inviting me to come and to be with you this weekend. As was indicated on Friday night, we've been looking forward to this now for a couple years, and COVID set it back a little bit, but here we are. And by God's providence and grace, we're able to enjoy this weekend together. And I never take for granted such an invitation as this. And I just want you to know how much it means to my wife and I to be with you all and the confidence that your shepherds placed in us. 
Not only that, it's uh, the serendipity is can reconnecting with people that you've known in the past, and we've had folks from Louisville come, and I won't tell anybody, but some of them snuck over here this morning, and uh, I appreciate seeing you. I'm glad that you come to be with us and support us and hold up our hands in preaching the gospel. And as is always the case, we have connections with people we've known through the years, the, the man sitting down here and in the Ritchie family that go way back with Harold and Kathy, and then the Swedes and Donna Solens. Well, I've done it now. I've started naming names. Uh, and there's others I know that we can talk about uh, that we have connections to either through Florida College or through our son or daughter that attended there. And so that's just a real serendipity. And then to uh, be with these preachers, and uh, Max, what a tremendous job you've done. And you've lifted and inspired us and encouraged us to keep on running this race. And we appreciate that. And Jordan has just been, I mean, he's been like my valet encourager. I mean, from the day he called me. And he made me feel good about preaching because I'm an old person now and I can come and preach to other old people. I, I don't know what a gift he has to make me feel so good about that. But you did, Jordan. You've been right by my side to encourage me. And then, of course, to be with Ricky again and uh, reconnect. And, you know, Ricky, I don't know about you, but I find myself as I've gone along through the years, and you're spending so much time preaching that a lot of times you don't have time to sit and hear other people preach. And so it's been good for me, and I feel like I'm a better person for having sit and listened to Max and listened to you this morning. What a marvelous lesson. And I feel like I've grown. Richie, don't you feel like you've grown? Well, I thought you had. I mean, it's amazing how much Richie's grown. Incredible, incredible. Well, <laughs> on a more serious note, let's think about the topic that we want to discuss this morning, reaching forward to the heavenly prize. You know, over the years, I've become aware that some older Christians have fallen by the wayside. And there are many reasons for this. It may be the lure of worldliness or discouragement or they become weary and well-doing. Maybe they've been hurt by another Christian and they become bitter and resentful and they have fallen away because of that. Maybe it's selfish pursuits and their retirement years of pursuing pleasure in their latter years. Maybe doubts have arisen about their faith. And so I want us to be encouraged this morning to finish well, to run through the tape toward the finish line, toward the heavenly prize. But there are three very important facts that we need to understand as we talk about this idea of finishing well and what the prize is all about. And the first thing, let's just understand that the prize is heaven. The prize is not something that is carnal or temporal or monetary or material. The prize that we're talking about is heaven. That's what Paul's talking about in this Philippian passage. He's talking about pressing toward the goal for the prize, and that prize is the heavenly prize. In Philippians 3 and verse 20, he said, Our citizenship is in heaven. And I tell you what, that was a powerful statement to Roman citizens that took such, such great pride in their citizenship and being a Roman citizen. 
and maybe it's even comparable to those of us in the United States of America that take such pride in our country. We, we get concerned about who's in the White House and who's in the State House and, and the direction our country's going, and we're proud to be Americans. Well, we need to realize that our citizenship, like Paul said, is in heaven. And then he spoke to the Colossians in chapter 1 and verse 5 and said, the hope that you have is a hope that is laid up for you in heaven. He says, that's the prize that I'm running for, that hope that's laid up in heaven. And then a really interesting passage in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul said, I know a man in Christ caught up in the third heaven, in the paradise, and heard inexpressible words which is not lawful for a man to utter. Commentators have different views on that. Maybe our, our preacher colleagues have different views on that. I tend to think Paul's probably talking about himself. He may not be, but I think he probably is. And somehow the Lord allowed him to get a glimpse of paradise, to get a glimpse of what this prize is that he's running toward. I think it's somewhat ironic that Paul said, I saw this and I heard these things and I'm not, I'm not allowed to utter it. Uh, incredibly, some people claim to have died and gone together and come back and they've written books about it. And yet Paul said, I'm not allowed to tell about it. Well, that's another story. But nevertheless, the prize that we're talking about, make no mistake about it, is the prize of heaven. The second thing is, the prize is a real place. Heaven, ladies and gentlemen, is not the overworked imagination of some fundamentalist preacher. The prize is a real place. It's not some kind of a paradise hero on earth, nor is it some kind of a, a mental state of nirvana to which we might ascend. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. There is a place for us that is called heaven. People want to know where this place is. Well, the builders of the Tower of Babel didn't make it far enough to tell me. And the astronauts have not flown that far in space to be able to see it. And the scientists have not yet developed a telescope that can see far enough to be able to see heaven. God hasn't chose to reveal that to us. But the Bible says Paul was caught up into the third heaven. And in Acts 1.11, Jesus was taken up into heaven. And it says in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 17 that the saints will be lifted up. And while heaven cannot be seen with the naked eye, I believe that it can be seen through the eye of faith and that we will one day be lifted up into heaven. The third fact, the third fact is the prize will be inhabited by real people. Now Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 that it will not be flesh and blood. And this mortality must put on immortality. And then this flesh and blood will be shed and we will have a different body, a spiritual body. The question is often asked, will we know each other? And that's easy for me to answer. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. 1 John 3 and verse 2 tells us that we will know Christ. And I remember what David said when the child that was born to him in Bathsheba died. And in 2 Samuel 12 and verse 23, David said, I cannot bring him back, but I can go to him. And so there was some sense, however vague it might have been, of this great patriarch and great king, this man after God's own heart, that he would one day be reunited with this child and that he would see him again. 
Sometimes there's an objection that people say, well, if there's no sorrow in heaven and no sadness in heaven and our loved ones don't make it, how in the world can we be there and know each other and not be sad? Well, if the God that can wipe away all tears, could he not also wipe away all unpleasant memories? So if you wanted to ask my personal opinion, I probably would say, I think we will know each other in heaven. But the Bible really doesn't say. But there are many things that we don't know about heaven. And so I can only discuss for a surety what the Bible says about this important prize. And so let's think for the rest of our time about heaven, the prize of heaven, and why heaven is the ultimate prize to which we need to be running through the tape to the finish line to be able to reach it. The first place I would suggest to you, it is a prize of unadulterated righteousness. You think about this life, and uh, Max referred to Lot a while ago, and how his righteous soul was vexed of all the sin that is in this world. And you look around and you see the lawlessness, the wickedness, the immorality, the filthy talk, the vulgarity, and all the kind of things that you have to put up with. I became aware very early as a young man preaching of people that would get up on Monday morning and go to work in the factory in Indianapolis or they would go someplace else to work in an office. And I got firsthand one summer when I worked for Bryant Heating and Cooling in Indianapolis and I realized what my dad had to put up with when he worked for Uniroyal for 33 years. I've never been around people that it seemed like that every thought, imagination, or their heart was evil continually that these guys could think up more dirty jokes and more ways to engage in wickedness and more evil things than an 18-year-old kid that had been kind of sheltered from some of this could ever dream they were out there. But there are people like that. And then I know that there are women that go work in the office. They have to put up with ungodly men and innuendos and, and dirty jokes and filthiness, kinds of things like that. Won't it be wonderful to one day be in a place where there will not be any of that? a place of unadulterated righteousness. The Bible says that nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those that are written in the Lamb's book of life. Also in the book of Revelation, John talks about those who are not going to enter in. In verse 8 of chapter 21, he says, But the cowardly, and the unbelieving and abominable and murderers and sexually immoral and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And so the prize that we are striving for is a prize of unadulterated righteousness. I heard a story one time about a father and a son that were walking through a cemetery, and they loved to see the old tombstones and the epitaphs that were on these tombstones. And they saw the ones that said, rest in peace, asleep in Jesus, from toil to rest, and all of those sort of things. And finally, the little boy looked up at his dad, and he said, Daddy, where are all the bad people? Well, you don't see those kind of epitaphs on tombstones or here at funerals, but the fact is they're not going to be in heaven the bad people are not going to be in heaven. I want to go to a place of goodness and righteousness where there is no sin. Don't you? Well, heaven is the ultimate prize because it is a prize of celestial beauty. 
We won't take the time this morning to read Revelation 21 and 22. I would encourage you to do so and even to take time this afternoon in a few minutes and read those two chapters. And to think about here in symbolic language, the Apostle John gives us kind of a glimpse of the, of the majesty and the splendor and the beauty and the glory of heaven. My wife Norma Jean and I have been quite blessed in the past number of years to see some beautiful sights in this world. We have witnessed the sunrise over the Atlantic Ocean and seen the sunset over the Pacific. I've stood on top of Clingman's Dome and Pikes Peak and Mount Kilauea and looked to the valleys below. I've seen the snow-capped mountains of the Tinshaw Mountains in Kazakhstan and the awesome and towering Mount McKinley that's now known as Denali. We've enjoyed the peaceful serenity of the Caribbean islands. And yet all of that lumped together does not compare with the beauty and the serenity and the glory of heaven. And in Revelation 21, where John describes it there, he pictures this city, this city with its jasper walls and its streets of gold, whose entrance is only through the pearly gates. It's a land of unclouded day with a crystal clear river running through the city. And there is the tree of life in perpetual state of bearing fruit. And can you imagine walking through that heavenly city? And then you hear the most beautiful songs that you've ever heard in your life. As beautiful as this morning was in your singing, it would even be more beautiful because it's the angelic choir. And then you see that majestic throne. And on the throne is the Almighty. And those around him are arrayed in white and giving him praise. And you soon realize that the flowers there never fade and the light never dissipates. And here it is, a place of perpetual, breathtaking beauty. Reminded of the little girl that was out with her father one night looking at all the stars up above. And they were both quiet for a little while and finally she broke the silence and she said, Daddy... If the top of heaven is as beautiful as the bottom, don't you want to go there? Now, the top of heaven is even more beautiful than the bottom. So the prize that we're striving for is a prize of celestial beauty. None of that is a prize of absolute happiness. In Revelation 21 and verse 4, it said, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, and there should be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. You know, we sometimes sing the song, no tears in heaven, no sorrow given. All will be glory in that land. There will be no sadness, and all will be gladness when we join that happy band. Have you thought about what it's going to be like to be in heaven? In heaven, there won't be any band-aids or crutches or wheelchairs. Ma'am, you can throw away your walker when you get to heaven. You won't need that. There'll be no Kleenex or aspirins or antibiotics, no cancer, no heart disease, no strokes. In heaven, there'll be no Alzheimer's or dementia or Parkinson's disease. 
In heaven, there won't be any hospitals or nursing homes or funeral homes. No cemeteries will dot the landscape of heaven. In heaven, there won't be any children suffering from MS. There'll be no aged saint whose body is twisted with arthritis. There'll be no war veterans with missing arms or legs. Heaven is a place where my friend Matthew Eager and Pat Hiller can get out of their wheelchairs and can walk again. In heaven, there'll be no headaches, no heartaches, no backaches. There'll be no legacy weekends in heaven because there'll be no aging, no wrinkles, no blindness, no scars, no skinned knees, no pain. A place of absolute happiness. I look forward to being in a place like that. That's the prize that we're striving for. Heaven is also a prize of divine and unequaled association. You know, I feel like sometimes these weekends where I'm privileged to be a part of them or just a, a tiny taste of what heaven is going to be about. And to think of being with some of the finest people on the face of of God's earth. But don't forget, Jesus will be there. We'll be with Jesus, the one to whom we have talked about and read about and thought about and sung about and prayed about. Remembered as we've come to communion Sunday after Sunday, think about seeing Jesus there. And John says, we'll know him. We'll know him. But think about visiting with the Apostle Paul and talking to Paul about his missionary journeys. Or, or think about talking to Noah. Kids, don't you want to meet Noah? I mean, don't you want to ask him, what was it like on that ark with all those animals? I mean, did God have a way of getting rid of some of the stench or something? After? I mean, I, I, I've always kind of wondered about that. You see? Or, or, or Elijah or Elisha? Or Moses? Don't you want to talk to these great men and women of God that we have read about? Or how about the three Hebrew boys that were, that were thrown into the furnace of fire? Don't you want to spend time? Well, there's no time in heaven, so just be there with them through eternity. And you've got plenty of time to hear their stories and what that was like. Or Daniel, when he was thrown into the lion's den? What were you feeling, Daniel? What was going through your heart and mind? What were your emotions? And you got time with Daniel. And then I think of some of the great preachers that I've had association with over the years. Rufus Clifford Sr. and Franklin Puckett and James P. Miller and Robert Jackson and Auden McKee to be able to be there with them. And some that are more recently departed has been just slightly over a year now that our brother D. Bowman has passed on to eternity. I'd love to sit down with Brother D. Brother D said one time in the lectureship, he said, I'll be there by the big rock when you come through the gates. Look for me. I'm going to look for him. Talk to him about it. Ed Harold. And the list could go on and on. Harold Ritchie. Yeah. I look forward to being in heaven. Think of the old soldiers of the Restoration Movement who've long since stacked their armors on the glad plains of eternity. 
And Donna, I think about being with my brother Bill. His life was snatched way too soon from this earth. And my Aunt Hattie and my Granny Key, who never had a chance to hear me preach, and to meet with my mom and dad again. It would be wonderful there to dwell in the sunlight of God's love and to be with the Lord and to hear the angelic choir and to sing a new song and to have that wonderful divine association and a family reunion again. That's what we're running toward, folks. That's the prize. And then it is a prize that is immortal, immutable, and indestructible. The prize in Paul's day for winning the Olympic marathon was the laurel wreath. And it could be worn in, in, in pride of the person that had, that had won the Olympics, that had won the, the race. But soon the leaves would wilt and wither. But heaven is not like that. That heaven is unfading and undefiled. And you think about some of the best things in this life that we enjoy so many times and how that they become tarnished or broken. They don't have the glitter and luster that they once had. We traveled, my wife and I, for almost three years full time, didn't, literally didn't have a home uh, during that time. Visited 36 states and 10 countries and 47 congregations during that time. So we put what little we kept, personal things, in storage. And so we finally bought a home in uh, Crystal River, Florida, and we got our stuff out of storage. We were unpacking stuff, and Norma said, where'd that come from? <laughs> I said, well, honey, that was ours. We had it, but you forgot. It's been three years since you've seen it. You know, it's kind of like Christmas. So we're unpacking all this stuff we haven't seen for three years. And one of the things that I unpacked there was a trophy. And it's a trophy that I received my senior year from Cascade High School. I was athlete of the year. It was a small school, okay? <laughs> but anyway, I was athlete of the year at little Cascade High School. And I was so proud of that trophy. But you know, when I unpacked it, I had kind of forgotten this. That trophy through the years that I've had it all these years has, has become tarnished and it is scratched and there's a piece that's broken off of it and the plate that says athlete of the year, you can very, barely read it with my name on it. In fact, it's come unglued and I've got to get some glue and glue it back. <laughs> but it sits in my office and it will on top of a shelf. But you think about heaven, heaven is not like that. Peter said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. The tree of life will be there in perpetual bloom, and there we will be forever and ever, and ever, and ever. That's the prize, the ultimate prize that we're striving toward and running to. And the wonderful thing about it, ladies and gentlemen, 
that God hasn't left us without a way. Because Jesus said in John 14, 6, after he said, I go to prepare a place for you, he says, I'm going to come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. But when I saw, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And then he says in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. And I want to suggest as we come to a close of this legacy weekend that if you haven't prepared for heaven, now is the time. And it was suggested earlier there is opportunity. Time continues. The Lord, His grace and mercy, pleads for you to come and to be right with Him. There could be some here this morning that began the race and you've fallen by the wayside. For whatever reason, unknown to any of us maybe, that you've gotten discouraged or whatever, you, you have fallen by the wayside and you got off the racetrack. Get back on the track. Start running again. Pick up where you left off. Make it right with God and with the people of God. It could be that you've never begun to run. And in a crowd this size, I've got to believe that there is a father or mother, a son or daughter, a husband or a wife that's never obeyed the gospel. And maybe you come every Sunday and you come with your family to support them, but you're on the outside looking in. You're in the stands. You're not on the racetrack. You need to get into the race. You need to enlist. You need to enroll. You need to start running toward the prize. You're not going to claim the prize if you don't register. You've got to start running. And I know that there's pitfalls along the way. There's discouragements that confront us. There are people that will sometimes let us down. There are problems in the affairs of life. There's heartaches that we suffer along the way. And it's not a sprint. <laughs> in fact, it's not even a marathon. It's an ultra marathon. <laughs> it's running hundreds of miles. It's like the fellow that recently broke a record. He ran from the Canadian coast, the east coast to the west coast. Can you believe that a guy could run that far? He ran it some 69 days, I believe it was. That's what, that's what the Christian race is. It's grueling. It's long. It's hard. But we're encouraged to reach forward to the heavenly prize. And so I want to be able to say with you, Apostle Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, but not to me only, but all them also that love his appearing. Don't you want to hear those words that we've got to keep running? In 1968, at the Mexico Olympics. A fellow from Tanzania representing his country, John Stephen Akari, was running the marathon. And along the course, Akari stumbled and fell. He severely injured his knee and his ankle, bleeding everywhere, but he got up and he kept on running. It was actually hours later after, after an Ethiopian runner had won the race that Akari had limped, limped into Olympic Stadium. 
And there were just a few hundred spectators left. But they had gotten word about this Tanzanian that was still running. And they, they stayed around, and as he came into Olympic Stadium and began to cheer, and the news media had picked up on this. There was a fellow out there that had gotten hurt, but he wouldn't quit running. He was still running, and, and so the reporters were there. And there he came, bloodied, bruised, bandaged, grimacing with every step. Akari completed the final lap of the race. Later, a reporter came up to him and asked him, why in the world did you keep on running after you were so severely injured? And here's what Akari said. My country did not send me 7,000 miles to begin a race. They sent me to finish a race. And ladies and gentlemen, God has put you here, now, in this place, in this time, as you not just to begin the race, but He's put you here to finish the race. Run flat out for the finish line. Run through the tape. Run to the prize. You know, if there's any way we can help you do it, we invite you to come as we stand while we sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.